We have a, um, a guest speaker today. As you can see, we have the spring break taking place. There's a lot of people who aren't here, but there are a lot of people who are here as well, and we are grateful for that. Bishop would have liked to be here, and he would have liked to have introduced his guest speaker, so he put something together. So right now, we're going to take a moment to welcome our guest speaker with the bishop. Amen? Praise the Lord, somebody. Good morning, church. I wish I could be in two places at one time, but unfortunately, that is not a possibility. And so I'm coming to you via video because I wanted to personally introduce to you our special guest. Before I do that, I wanted to take a moment to say thank you to all the visitors who are with us. I really appreciate you coming and sharing with us today. And I hope that I get the opportunity to shake your hand and meet you next week. So that's my invitation for you to come out and be with us again. This morning, we have a special guest with us, and her name is Andrea Krizais. And she is the founder of the Sanford Crisis Pregnancy Center. The reason why I asked her to be with us is because the Crisis Pregnancy Center is expanding and they will be moving into Oviedo. Potentially, they're going to be uh, moving into the house that is right in front of us. So please keep that in prayer. I went to the, the Crisis Pregnancy Center and I met Andrea myself about a year ago. I sat down with her because I will not support anything unless I know the person. It's not just simply about what they do. It's about who they are. When I sat down with Andrea, it was a blessing for me because she wasn't just a cordial person, but she was absolutely an open book and her faith bore witness with my spirit. And so this morning, I want to say, Andrea, thank you so much for being with us, for taking the pulpit and for sharing your vision for the Crisis Pregnancy Center with us. And Faith Dome, I want to ask you to put your hands together and welcome Mrs. Andrea Krizais to our pulpit this morning. God bless you. papers here. I think you took my, oh, here's one. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> want to go blank here. <laughs> oh, please be seated. Thank you. Thank you. Um, with me is my uh, co-laborer, my friends, and uh, partner here, Cindy. Co-laborer, my friends, and uh, partner here, Cindy. Can you hear me okay? Can you hear me okay? It's doubling. Hello. Okay, we sound all right? I, I kind of winged it on them the last minute. I really need to have uh, my hands free, part, part Italian. <laughs> so um, anyway, thank you for allowing me to be here. And um, I am just honored that uh, Bishop Jason has so much confidence in me and that he has shown favor on our ministry and um, just his blessings. And, um, but anyway, a couple about a month ago, we had a luncheon here in the Oviedo area. And about 70 local pastors and, and folks from churches in the area came to this kickoff luncheon that we had to talk about the Crisis Pregnancy Center that we want to start here in Oviedo. And I want to talk more about that later on, but I kind of have a, uh, a long order that the, that the bishop asked me this morning, not only to talk about the Pregnancy Center, but to give you a message and uh, a challenge as far as God's word on our role as Christians when it comes to the issue of abortion. So let's just start with our, our heads bowed, and I'm going to start with a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, Lord, I just thank you for this day that you've made. Thank you for being the giver of life, Lord. And uh, Lord, I pray today that your truth will be spoken and received. Your word says that there's a time to be silent and there's a time to speak. And today we want to speak up for the weak, the innocent, the defenseless. And Lord, while this issue isn't easy to talk about, 
yet it's an issue that inflames your heart. So Lord, I pray that you would prepare all of us to open our hearts, our eyes, and to see things through your eyes. Lord, speak through me with truth and love. Help me be unashamed of your truth and be bold in speaking it. Thank you for your grace and forgiveness and reminding us of your endless love. May I decrease so that you may increase. And may you be glorified today. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the heart of the message today is uh, to speak up for the, the weakest, the most defense, defenseless people of all, and that's uh, the unborn. Uh, in January 20 th- or 22nd of every year, most churches recognize that as Sanctity of Life Sunday. And that Sunday is uh, recognized all over the country in various churches. And, and it's recognized because 39 years ago, a decision was made by the Roe v. Wade decision, our United States Supreme, I'm sorry, a decision was called the Roe v. Wade decision. And this decision was approved by the United States Supreme Court. And what that did is it legalized abortion 39 years ago. And as a result of that, it's created a mission field, a mission field in every town in the United States. And as a result of that decision, 54 million babies have been lost in the name of choice. I'd like to begin with a difficult question. Is abortion the greatest moral evil of our time? Now, while there's many issues that can fight for that position, I mean, you hear a lot about the sex trade and uh, exploiting young women and men. Uh, you hear of homelessness, fatherlessness. Um, there's so many issues. But I believe the issue of abortion is the greatest moral evil of our time because of the immeasurable worth of an unborn child and because this issue inflames the heart of God. And the reason it inflames the heart of God is because he created life. It's sacred, and it's, we're challenged to protect it. Unfortunately, though, as citizens, we shut down on this issue because the numbers are so great, the implications of our guilt, we sometimes just become immobilized. We don't know where to, where to begin. How do we start? I'd like to illustrate a point that... Um, because this issue is so complicated and so controversial, often it, it, it incites a political position when it really isn't a political position. But because of this issue, we have a tendency to focus on other issues. And I'd like to point in it. This is a model of a Florida sea turtle. This is the model of a 30-week-old baby. Both of these are created in God's image. I'm sorry, both of these are created, but one of them are created in God's image. Now, let's kind of follow with me. Imagine on on a Sunday, I take a stroll on the beach, and I come across a turtle's nest. And my curiosity, I'm, I'm intrigued by what's in this little turtle hole with the stakes around it. And so with the stick, I kind of poke around to see what's in that hole. And of course, there's many turtle eggs. And as a result of me tampering with those turtle eggs, it causes them to die. They don't get to be born. And on that same day after I leave leave the beach, say I'm about 30 weeks pregnant with this child, and I choose to go to an abortion clinic in Florida. There's five of them here in Orlando. And I choose to end the pregnancy of this child. Of these two acts, tampering with this turtle's egg and ending this this pregnancy, which one would land me in, in jail? And would I be faced with a fine? The turtle egg. 
I mean, something's wrong with this picture. And while I'm all about saving the sea turtles and the Florida panthers and the manatees, something is terribly wrong when we've elevated the sea turtle over the life that God created in his image. And see, this is what happens when we focus on all the other issues that are difficult to face because it's easier to save the turtles than save the unborn. Amen to that? The sad thing is that there is no protection for the unborn. Roe v. Wade took care of that 39 years ago. That decision said that there is no protection for an unborn child because it's not a human. Where a turtle, it's not a human being, but it does have protection. You could be faced with a $5,000 fine and six months in prison for taking the life of a turtle. The statistics are staggering. In the state of Florida in the 2010, there was 293,000 births, and of those births, 92,000 ended in abortion. So one out of three pregnancies in the state of Florida end in abortion. In our own community in central Florida, over 12,000 abortion occurred. In the sight of God, in our, in our nation, in the United States, one out of our, every 20 seconds, an unborn child is taken. 4,600 a day just in the United States. And there's an abortion clinic open today in Orlando led by a doctor by the name of James Pendergraft. And we need to pray for him that his cold heart would recognize what he does. Now, some of you may be thinking, okay, Andre, I think I know where you're going with this. You're going to heap a bunch of guilt on me, and you're going to make me feel guilty for the abortion experience that I've had. And I want you to know that's not my heart. But I'd also caution you not to harden your heart and not receive the forgiveness that God has for you. And this thing, not just for women, this is for men too, because he can use your experience for his glory. And then there may some, be somebody in here that says, you know what, I've never had an abortion, and I can't imagine anybody that would. And I would caution you too, not to be too puffed up, because we all fall short of the glory of God. I saw a saying the other day, it said, TGIF. And you're thinking, why are you bringing that up on a Sunday? It's not Friday. Thank God I'm forgiven. TGIF. Thank God I'm forgiven. So what is our responsibility in this issue? 39 years ago, when Roe v. Wade legalized abortion, it did create a mission field. And we started that in the Sanford, with the Sanford Crisis Pregnancy Center. But the mission field is growing. And that mission field is becoming a slippery slope. When you look at all the moral dilemmas that we face, we've got euthanasia, cloning, stem cell research on embryos, eugenics, fetal tissue harvesting, selective breeding, and many other bioethic issues. And there's so many moral dilemmas that devalue the life that God has created. So where do we start? What would God have us do? For starters, we need to change our hearts. We need to accept the fact that abortion is not a political issue. It's a heart issue. And that's how we're going to make a difference. We need a new perspective. And I'll be honest with you, 14 years ago, I was sitting comfortably in my, the pews at my church because abortion hasn't affected me. I wasn't hot or cold. I should have been spit out. But I tell you, what, um, and the reason I wasn't, I wasn't affected by it. I haven't had an abortion. Nobody close to me has, so I figured it's a woman's right. But what I did know deep down in my heart is that it was biblically wrong. But I, didn't want to, I wasn't willing to take a stand 
So I wanted to avoid the topic. It's too controversial. And I really, the bottom line is I really didn't care. And that all changed one night when I was involved in a Bible study that lasted for about three months. And for those three months of that Bible study, we were challenged to look at this issue. It was a skinny little class. Not a whole lot of people wanted to be in it. But I took that class because I knew I needed to be there because my heart was cold. And what I learned that night and for the next three months changed my life. I learned about the unborn and how precious they are and how they were fearfully and wonderfully created in God's image. How they have brain activity at 42 days and that there's a heartbeat after 18 days of conception. And then I learned about the women, the women who are faced with the crisis pregnancy and how they needed choices, they needed options. And I also learned about women who've had an abortion and how they are living in a private hell and how they need to be forgiven and set free. And I also learned about the real motive behind the abortion business. It's all about money, and it's about exploiting women. So God put a, a burden on my heart, and while he was breaking my heart, he poured a liquid fire in me, and he gave me a glimpse of the horror that he sees every day and how Satan works, his clever schemes, his seductive lies, and his tool of choice called fear. This immobilizing fear is what fuels a woman to go to an abortion clinic. So during that time of studying prayer, prayer God revealed to me, and the com conclusion I can, came to was that I can't ignore this issue anymore, and neither can we, not as Christians. His word says that we're without excuse and we will be held accountable. This is the unescapable issue that we need to address in our church because there's too many people in our church that are hurting. One out of four women have had an abortion and that means one out of four men have experienced it as well. So this requires us to look at things through God's eyes and understanding the heart of God and we do this by looking at scripture. And I'd like for you to all open your Bibles up to Psalms. Let's go to his words. If you go to Psalms 139, this is a chapter that I cherish, and I've often fallen back on my darkest times. When you question your worth, if you've ever felt alone, if you ever wonder, is God really there? I read this. And as soon as my children can learn to speak, I, I, I ask, this is, if, if of all the verses in the Bible, these are the verses I want my kids to have branded on their hearts. Um, I would like for you guys all to read um, Psalms 139, 139, sometimes today, starting with verse 1. But for the sake of this message, I'd like for us to focus on verse 13. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in a secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Amen. God knows everything about you. If you start off with verse 1 through 5, he talks about your thoughts and your words and how there's, he knows everything about you. And then it goes on into uh, verse 7. Again, 
where you're going, where, you're, where you've been. You can't flee from him. You can go to the farthest side of the earth. You can go to the deepest parts of the sea. He's always there. Amen. He created your inmost being. In verse 13 where it says, you created my inmost being. It's your soul. So can you imagine this, this master creator? He takes his soul and then he starts to knit, as you see in verse um, 15. He starts to knit your body around the soul. Once we've decided, as human beings, we've made the mistake of thinking that our wisdom is greater than God's. In Proverbs 18.2, it says, A fool finds no pleasure in understanding, but delights in airing his own opinion. And that's what it really has all come down to, is we think our opinion is more important than God's. And we're here where we are today because of that, because we think our answers and our solutions and our viewpoints are at least equal, if not superior to God. We've decided which human being, which unborn will be born, which child will live or die. We've decided when old people are no longer useful to us. We've decided what the measure of the quality is of the life one deserves. We've ignored, we ignore the homeless people and we pretend they don't exist. And once we've done this and we recognize that an, an unborn, a homeless person, an elderly, disabled, the terminally ill, the widows, when we recognize them just as problems, it becomes too easy for us just to discard them. And that's what we've done. The meanwhile, God's heart aches as he says in Isaiah 55, 9, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts and my ways than yours. All life is precious. Preborn and born. And with these new glasses that God is showing us, we start to see things differently. An unborn child isn't just a blob of tissue anymore, like Satan wants us to believe. An unborn child isn't just a potential human being. It's a human being with potential. Scripture warns us in Matthew 25:45. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Whatever you do unto the least of these, you do it unto me. And who is more deserving of that least of the title than the unborn. How I looked at the women who faced with an unpregnant pregnancy changed my heart. God helped me empathize their immobilizing fear. He helped me see her world and how it was spinning out of control and she, how desperate she was. I could see that she needed answers. She needed options. She needed the truth. Truth. So who is, this? who is this young woman who is ravaged by Satan's lies? What does this woman considering abortion look like? She looks like any woman you'd know, any young girl that you'd know. She's the girl next door. She's our daughters. She's our granddaughters. She's the girl at the checkout lane in, at Publix. And God loves this little girl, this young girl, and she needs the truth. And he wants us, his people, to be his hands and eyes. And I'm not here speaking as a Republican or a Democrat or a pro-life or a pro-choice person. I'm here as a follower of Jesus Christ, speaking his truth and his calling for us. I also want to share with you that God put a, heart, put a burden on my heart when it comes to the post-abortive women. Because so often in the church, we look down at the, a woman who's had an abortion when in fact, 
she's the one that needs restoration more than any of us does because she's more likely to go and have a second or a third abortion. It says that uh, according to statistics, 46% of the abortions are women who've already had one abortion. So if we don't reach her because she's going to feel unworthy, she's going to continue having abortions, we're going to continue losing more. So we need to let this woman know that there is nothing that can separate her from the love of Jesus Christ, that his blood that was shed covers even that sin. I want her to know that. I want her to know that Jesus loves her and he can make all things new. So that's important to us in, in our ministry because we want to reach these women. It's also been reported that 95% of all post-abortive women have said, I wouldn't have had my abortion had I known somebody was there for me. That someone is you or me. And I used to think, oh, no, it can't be me. It's got to be a pastor or a theologian or uh, some scholar or somebody who has a doctorate's degree in, in psychology and counseling. It can't be me. I can barely navigate my way through the Bible. But it isn't. It's ordinary people Amen. like you and you who can do great things for God. And what God is looking for is I call it huge. We call that at the center, huge, H-U-G-E. He wants somebody who's humble, who can love unconditionally, who's genuine, and who can empathize. And that's, where all that, that's all that you need to be qualified to love women who are faced with an unplanned pregnancy. In Proverbs 31, 8, it says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all those who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. So I asked you that same question I asked a little earlier. What would God have us do? And for each of us, that may look a little bit differently. I'll be honest with you, in my wildest dream, I would have never imagined that he would have me start a crisis pregnancy center. If you come to our center, there's a plaque in our boardroom, our lunchroom, our everything room, and it says that he doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the call. And I'm telling you, I'm a messed up kid from a white trash neighborhood that God had plucked out of there and made something out of her. So I'm telling you, he can use ordinary people to do great things. And, you know, we often think, well, you know what, I don't know if I have enough love or grace or mercy or compassion, but he does, and he lavishes, he lavishes it to us with such abundance. I'm going to bore you for about five minutes with a PowerPoint presentation because this is a PowerPoint that uh, Bishop Jason had, had viewed uh, a few weeks ago when we had that luncheon. But what's nice about this PowerPoint is... Um, it sort of transitions into what I'm really here about is to kick off this crisis pregnancy center in Oviedo. But while this, while this PowerPoint is about the Sanford Crisis Pregnancy Center, we are modeling the Oviedo Crisis Pregnancy Center after that. So I'm just going to kind of just share a little bit about that. This is one of our clients that we saved about two years ago. She was born on Christmas Day. Um, her name is Annalise, and she escaped death because her mother was a prostitute who smoked crack every day, and her mother did not want her. And by the grace of God, uh, this little baby was spared. And the good news is it's taken almost two years, but her, her biological mother is in rehab and has been in rehab for the last nine weeks. And she was placed for adoption, but anyway, that's one of our precious ones. But here's the Sanford Crisis Pregnancy Center. And try to visualize, visualize that sign being over here in Oviedo, potentially in the building right here in front of you guys that says Oviedo Crisis Pregnancy Center. <laughs> you got to go with me. Okay, as I've already shared, Roe v. Wade 
when it legalized abortion, it created a mission field. Our mission statement is pretty clear, but let's say it together. And let's, instead of saying Sanford, let's say Oviedo. Let's speak this, this ministry into being. The Oviedo Crisis Pregnancy Center exists to offer alternatives to abortion by modeling the love of Jesus Christ through compassionate lay counseling and resources to empower her to make life-affirming decisions. Amen? Amen. Well, that's our little mission field in Sanford. Uh, we have five commitments that we make at the pregnancy, pregnancy Center as volunteers and as staff. First commitment is that we are committed to the sanctity of human life. That's all life, whether it's um, conceived out of rape, incest, or if there's a fetal deformity to a child. All life is created. We also are committed to, mo to both woman and her unborn child. We're committed to biblical truth, not verses. Verses are our personal or cultural values. We're committed to maintain confidentiality, and we're committed to serving with a clear conscience. Our goal is to speak the truth in love by ministering to her and not manipulating her. These are just some of the statistics. There's five abortion clinics in Orlando. Two of them perform late-term abortions up to 28 weeks. That baby that I just showed you was 30 weeks. Orange and Seminole County, there was over 12,000 abortions last year. And 88% of those abortions occur between 8 and 12 weeks. 55% of the abortions are women under the age of 24. And 46% are abortions, are repeat abortions. Our clients, last, well, currently we see anywhere from 125 to 150 clients in a month just in Sanford. All of our clients are, we call it the SOS. She's scared, she's overwhelmed, but she has strengths. And it's our job as a counselor to reveal those strengths to her. They range anywhere from age 14 to 30. Our youngest client last year was 12 years old. Um, again, a crisis pregnancy is colorblind. Uh, there's all races, religions, cultures, economic backgrounds. We see women from the prostitutes to preacher's kids, girls that live in the trailer parks to gated communities. And 95% of our clients come as a result of word of mouth. Our services are free. The primary reason they come to us is for our free pregnancy test. Everyone in town kind of knows, hey, go there. They can confirm your pregnancy. And then we offer crisis counseling. We offer prenatal and abortion education, adoption information. We have a program that's called Earn While You Learn. And this is a boutique filled with baby supplies and, and things that the mom would need. And we have a library full of all kinds of video material. And, uh, and this isn't a curriculum that we came up with, um, but it's, it has about 80 different topics of you know, first trimester, second trimester, breastfeeding, car seat safety, applying for a, a, an apartment lease, a lot of life application skills. But if, the, if, if, a, if a mom comes to our center and she chooses to give life, we encourage her to, to be enrolled in this program and she's allowed to come in once a week. And if she brings the father of the baby, she can earn even more boutique points. Because the idea is she's earning while she's learning. So she's learning, and then we're handing her out boutique bucks so that she can shop in the boutique. And if she can bring the father of the baby, then she can earn double the bucks. And we what we love about this program is we're building a family around this baby. It gives us a great chance to evangelize, and then it also gives her a chance to, for us as a, as a pregnancy center to help a woman meet her tangible needs. Because so often people will say, oh, most pregnancy centers or pro-life ministries, all you care about is saving the baby, and yet what happens after the baby is born? Well, so this is a tangible way that we can help, and it's not just lip service. 
So it's a great program. The reason I spent a couple minutes on that is because this is a great opportunity for a women's group. If you want to have a baby shower for the center, we need anything that's at Walmart or Target in the baby department to fill up that boutique. So great service opportunity. We provide referrals for medical, housing, education, as I mentioned, adoption. We offer post-abortion recovery, again, the boutique. And then we have a sexual integrity education where we love the opportunity to come into youth groups, into schools, and talk about the importance of sexual purity. And then we have Equip to Serve program. This is going to be offered probably in the next two to three months. When we, once we know when our opening date is here in Oviedo, we want to train local folks that would be interested in taking to being volunteers. It's an 18-hour course, but it will take the layperson and train you how to, to offer counseling. This is just our waiting room, just a couple little snapshots. It's our library. Uh, there's a couple of our counseling rooms. Currently, uh, our staff at the Sanford Center, I'm the director, and I have an assistant. We have two people that share the client services position, have a bookkeeper. We have about 15 volunteers. We have a board of about 12 members, and we're all equipped to serve. We're funded privately by God's people. We don't receive one penny from the government, all by churches, individuals, various clubs. Last year, a third of our, our budget, which was $176,000, a third of that was raised by the baby bottle campaign. So thank you for filling up those bottles that were given out a couple weeks. Last year, we had 24 churches that participated in that baby bottle campaign, and we raised $42,000. Just in much change, you know. Um, and then, of course, a third of our income comes from monthly donors. These are just families that say, hey, I want to support you $20 a month, or churches that want to commit to us. So, again, another idea. Or the other would be just a one-time gift that we get at a Christmas time. Or, um, uh, again, I, some of the stuff I've already said, our, our annual budget at, um, the old, in the Sanford Center is $176. we are projecting that the Oviedo Pregnancy Center is probably going to start off with a budget of about $75,000 because a lot of the expenses that would normally occur here is going to be absorbed by the Sanford Center because that's being the main office where we have all the insurance liability and, and so forth. Um, our monthly need at the new center in Oviedo, we're expecting about $6,000 a month. So what we like to tell everybody, we only need $6,000 a month. If we can get 600 families to chip in $10 a month, we'd have our monthly need here in Oviedo. Um, again, our ministry is biblically-based. The good thing is, is we're debt-free. The building that in Sanford, we own it. Uh, we, uh, have no, we owe nobody, and uh, we have a six-month reserve, and we give 10% of our money away every month because this is God's ministry. So how can the church help? Well, we can pray for the unborn and pray for the abortion um, issue. Consider supporting the center. Again, you guys are already doing that by participating in the baby bottle campaign. Host a baby shower for our boutique. Preach on the sanctity of life the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, and let's reach out to women who've had an abortion. Our goals this year, has, we would like to recover our donor base. Again, wouldn't everybody <laughs> from all the, um, just the, the hardships that's been going on. Uh, we want to train and equip more Christians. We want to market and attract more clients. We would like to increase our sonogram program. We'd like to increase our post-abortion recovery, increase our hours. And there it is, plant a sitter in Oviedo. And actually, that's become on the top. <laughs> so, and of course, we like to increase our abstinence program. And what that means is we like to see more volunteers that would be prepared and trained to go and speak to the public schools. So, First um, John 3.18, Dear children, let us not love in word or tongue, but in truth and action. 
So um, at this point, I'm going to close with a story. Well, there's our pregnancy center again. But I'd like to tell you, um, people are often intrigued by our clients and about, you know, the, our, you know, the women that come to our center. And I'm going to talk to you about this little, this little girl here, the, um, Erica. She's the, the little girl that's standing on the left. Um, actually, this picture was taken probably in the 1940s. She's not a client that we've obviously served. But uh, this is a woman, this is when she was a little girl, but her name is Erica, and she actually serves at the Crisis Pregnancy Center. Anyway, a few years ago, um, she told me about her own story. And what I like about telling Erica's story is the women that come to our center, there's layers to her life. You know, we like to think that when she comes in with the crisis pregnancy and her, her belly is distended, <coughs> we're dealing with just a crisis pregnancy. And the truth is, is there's consequences and there's layers to her life that brought her to that place. So the pregnancy is just the byproduct of, um, you know, all the, all the layers of her life. And so I kind of like sharing Erica's story because there's layers to her life that she could easily be a client that walks in. But Erica's life started off, she was born in the 40s. She's a Lithuanian girl, and her mother and her brothers, and her, um, they live in Lithuania, and her father was in World War II, and he was killed. So in the late 40s, uh, Erica and her mother and her brothers, they would call them DP people, they're displaced persons. <coughs> And they were sent from the country of Lithuania to Germany. And while they went to Germany, they had to live in these bunkers. It was kind of like, they call them DP camps. And this is actually in front of the DP camp, the barrack that she lived in. It was just a one-bedroom little, little shed. And um, anyway, there was no electricity. There's no running water. There's a pump down at the end of the camp. Uh, there was thousands of children there, thousands of, of people. Very few men, because most of the men had been, had been killed. But anyway, Erica said that in this DP camp, again, it was uh, deplorable conditions, disease was rampant, uh, alcohol was a common source of comfort. She said that um, she was there from the age of um, six years old, and she stayed there until she was nine years old. She said by that time, the government of Germany said um, they need to take these children out of these conditions. So they sent the children off to boarding schools. And Erica was sent to a Catholic school just a couple of hours away from the DP camp. And her brothers were sent to Italy to a boys' um, school. And Erica said from the age of 9 to about 16, she was boarded at this Catholic school. And she said during that time, she received just two letters from her mother. And she never had a visit from her mother. She also said that during that time, she tasted the power of alcohol. And she was an alcoholic at a, at a young, young age because of, it was an easy way to mask her pain. And where I'm going with this is you can already see the layers of this girl's life. One, she doesn't have a father figure in her life because he was killed. Again, imagine our clients. Some of them, their fathers may not have been killed in, in a war, but they're incarcerated. Or the father is just absent. He's not in her life. And this is so critical. And I tell you, if I, if I say anything today, I, I'd hope you as fathers would know your role is immeasurable because you set the standard for your daughters. You're the first man of authority yes. that's in her life. And she's going to measure the man she's going to marry to you. You're not my, like my father. And that's the standard that you need to raise. Well, Erica didn't have that. And many of our clients don't have that. Also, she doesn't have a very good relationship with her mother. So our clients either, it's an and or thing. They may not have a father in their life, or they don't have a mother that's strong in her faith. And then there's some other affliction that has, has creeped in. 
Again, for Erica, example, it was alcohol. And I can't tell you how many clients we've seen that have come in that are dabbling in some sort of drugs or addiction or addiction to approval or something. But again, it's all these pressures put together. So you put all this together, it just makes a great stirring pot for a crisis pregnancy. So let me finish with the story. So Erica, she said that when she was about um, 16, she graduated from the program, I mean from the school. By that time, she was able, able to come back home to live with her mother um, and her two brothers because her mother was awarded a two-bedroom government-subsidized apartment. And her mother made it very clear, Erica, you're 16 years old, you're on your own, you need to go get a job, and Erica was fine with that. Erica says she took a job at a blanket factory. And then she says uh, by the time she was 17 years old, she met a boy by the name of Julio, and she was in love with him. And she said within a year, she found herself pregnant. And at first, she was so happy to be pregnant because she thought, this is going to be my ticket. I've got the man that loves me. We're going to have that white picket house, you know, the white picket fence, and I'm going to have a baby that I can love. But sadly, when Erica told the father of her baby, Julio, that she was pregnant, she was met with rejection because he was just a young boy himself, and his world was spinning out of control, and he wasn't ready for a child. So he says, I, I, I want nothing to do with this pregnancy. So now Erica is faced with this pregnancy by herself. The last thing she wants to do is to go home and tell her mother, uh, we have another mouth to feed. So Erica concealed her pregnancy until she could save the money to have an abortion. She said she'd go to the blanket factory every day from 7 to 5 every day. And she says that at lunchtime, she was befriended by these two Ukrainian women. They were much older than her. But she says they would invite her to their table and they would have their, uh, their lunch. And she said eventually a couple of days into this friendship, and they kept inviting, Erica, come sit with us. She says that within a couple of days, she started to trust them. And she eventually concealed this burden she's been carrying for about a month, that she's pregnant and that she wants to have an abortion. So she shared it with them. The days and weeks to follow, she says that every day they would talk to her. And then she says eventually these women would invite her to their home for dinner. And they would take walks in the neighborhood along the river. And she says that they would talk to her about, about her crisis pregnancy and what it'll be like to be pregnant, what it'll be like to be a single mom. Um, they started making her baby booties and little baby hats and, and blankets. And she said that within a month or so of meeting with these women, she started to like the idea of being pregnant. She didn't feel so alone. What I love about this story is that these two Ukrainian women were doing the work of what a crisis pregnancy center does long before pregnancy centers existed. They were meeting her where she was at, loving her unconditionally, providing her with tangible help, showing her what it would be like, educating her about what it would be like to be a single mom, how to care for a baby, how to bathe a baby. I can't help but think of that verse that we just read in 1 John 3.18. Dear children, let us not love with mere word or tongue, but in truth and in action. And that's what those two Ukrainian women did for my mother, Erica. Erica is my mom. And little did they know that the little baby girl that they saved would one day find her ways to the shores of Florida and start a pregnancy center. Come on, people, let's give an amen to God for that. If you like that story, <laughs> it gets better. <laughs> this is my mother and I 
when I was three years old, and you're probably wondering, okay, so how did you get to America? And while this is not about me, I just want you to know that God has a plan for every single one of our lives. For every child that walks into our, our center, they have a story like this. What I mean is every unborn baby that walks through our center, they have a story. And uh, there's more to the story. I have a book that was written a couple years ago. He came back for me. It's a journey to restoration. I'm hoping that Bishop Jason will let me come another day and, and share the story. But if you can't wait, there's, the books are outside in the foyer. Uh, they cost $16, and they benefit our ministry. But um, anyway, I just want to, I hope you guys are excited about the Crisis Pregnancy Center that's coming to town. Um, as the pastor that said earlier, I mean, as, as the bishop has said earlier, that we are right now hoping for that little location right, across, right in front of you guys. We've looked at a number of, of, of locations in the Oviedo area, and the doors kind of seem to be closing. And we're just waiting. Lord, you tell us where you want us to be. Uh, we have $28,000 already raised up for that center. We're trying to raise monthly support. Um, and so just a couple weeks ago, um, Bishop Jason says, you ought to check out this building over here. And I came to look at it, and I thought, well, it's not even renovated. It's not even fixed. And so I met with the builder, and um, he's brought the plans to the center. And we kind of all sat around the table and said, well, could you do that? And could you make a window here? And could you? Three counseling rooms are just perfect. The layout was just perfect of what he already has in store for us. So there's just a little bit of tweaking that we like to see on the plans. And tomorrow night, I plan to present this to our board. And, um, and I'm, I'm praying that they would be approving this and that, uh, that we'll be hopefully coming to town in that location. Is that great? <laughs> so um, anyway, thank you all. God bless you all. Thank you so much. I try to talk really loud, I can talk, but if I try to talk normal, so I, I don't know if I should use the mic or not because I don't want to yell into the mic. Um, I think you'll be okay with that, thank you. Um, let's thank uh, Andrea and what God is doing in the Stanford Crisis and Pregnancy Center and potentially Oviedo.